fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. Well, Dan, it is so great to be here. I'm just really glad I accepted this mission and I made that choice. Um, and that in all the missions I've accepted so far, nothing has blown up in my face. So, <laughs> <laughs> You sure about that, Dennett? Because I know a lot of missions I've gone on have blown up in my face 100%. So I am jealous of your great track record. Uh, there's another man whose track record is also impeccable, and that is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, are you currently hiding from Soviet spies up there? on the brain station. I can neither confirm nor deny that, Dan, but this week I have something for you. A mission, Dan, should you choose to accept it, of course. <laughs> so are you prepared to leave that bunker and go on an adventure? <laughs> you know, I, I I might be. Let's let's think about that, Ben. You know, I think that could be a good buddy comedy. You and I, you coming out of the brain station, me coming out of the bunker and running around. Uh, what would we do? What are we, uh, what are we gonna foil? We have a... Uh, <laughs> Uh, traffic in LA. <laughs> I love it. I choose to accept. I actually have a proposal. You come out of the bunker and you realize maybe the apocalypse hasn't happened and you're bummed and you have to figure out what to do. Well, how to cause it? That's the comedy. Yeah, maybe how to cause, cause it. it. How, to, you know, how to survive in the lack of an apocalypse. Now right. that would be a twist, Dan. That would be. I do. I do actually like this comedy of someone coming out from a bunker, being disappointed, and then having to cause an apocalypse to make themselves happy. Maybe to win a bet or something. Uh, we'll workshop it. There's something. There's something here. Uh, but also, you know, believe it or not, the Mission Impossible series. I think there's something going. I think this is going to be a successful franchise. I don't know. I don't know what you guys think. Uh, but it, if this latest one is any indication, uh, I think it's a big success. This was a lot of fun, guys. Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning. We're going to talk about. It and some of the other stuff Mission Impossible does, but uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. You know, what about you, Denon? Oh, I love them. I, we, we don't have to talk about the second Mission Impossible, I guess. Um, Please don't. Knowing my standards for movies, I enjoyed it, but I understand the, um, <laughs> you know, I understand the problems with it, right? Um, yep. You know, and I and I love that there are birds flying. You got directors have to keep to their themes. Um, mm -hmm. But other than that, I'm with you, Dan. I think this is. I think they found something here because it just is darn fun, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, mm -hmm. it, it. I for me, it actually hits that sweet spot of action, a little bit of drama, a little bit of suspense. You know, they're going to come out, but you know, sometimes people do get hurt or die in these in these movies who you don't mm -hmm. expect, and mm -hmm. um, and cool gadgets. And other than gadgets, what else do you really need except some gizmos? No, it's so fun. I I love all the little bits and bobs of tech we see throughout the the movie, and you know I just love a good you know action scene, a good car chase, or or in this case a good Fiat five hundred uh, mini car chase. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's just there, there's something so delightful about seeing this tiny little car uh, driving through <laughs> like a storm drain sewer that the big cars can't fit in. 
That's fantastic. I mean, it's the ultimate underdog story, guys, you know. Uh, but I think you, after watching this, we're not going to do this now, but I think a good sequel to this particular episode would be the science of Tom Cruise's immortality because I don't know what he's doing, but he is, uh, the guy's opened like multiple action movies at 106 years old. So he's really doing God's work there uh, and he's doing a great job. Uh, so this movie, Mission Impossible, you know, this, what I liked about this particular uh, this particular movie, Dead Reckoning, is there's a lot of interesting themes. And I think we're going to talk about, you know, being hidden, staying off grid, you know, f fighting our digital footprint. These, I think, we haven't really talked a lot about this, but there's going to be some fun things here, starting, you know, right at the top of the movie with this submarine that is, you know, it, it's a submerged submarine and it's doing some crazy stuff. It's got a, uh, you know, a, a, a weapon on it. But they discuss how invisible submarines are in general. And I found this amazing because, you know, I, I want to get you guys' opinion on why they're so difficult to find. But I heard one quote as saying finding a submarine is the same as blindfolding yourself, walking out into the neighborhood and trying to find a cat by listening to their footsteps. Mm -hmm. It's pretty difficult. Denon, you're a cat owner. Uh, oh, I know yeah. you love your cats, but I don't even think you could do this. No, and I tell you, it's kind of creepy the number of times my cat has just shown up somewhere. And I really, <laughs> I didn't hear it coming. I don't yeah. know where it came from. You just, you turn around and there's a cat sitting there staring at you. The it's sort of like Denon. when you turn around and there's the sub torpedo coming at you. It just doesn't <laughs> feel good, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, my first comment to this is the ocean is big, Dan. And the submarine is small, right? We forget that, mm -hmm. right? Like submarines are meant to be hidden. I think the big step forward um, is, is how we have been able to make submarines more and more quiet, right? Mm -hmm. And they do become more like a cat then because that is the key. The, the challenge for a submarine is you are technically listening to it. That's what sonar really is. And so if you can get, it, if you can get yourself to be quiet, you've got a good chance of hiding. Yeah, well, and that's good for... Um for um, passive listening, but you know you could still do active sonar, the the emitting the sound and having it reflect back. And for that, your your sub also needs some uh, extra tech, basically, so that the the sound waves don't reflect differently off of the um, the submarine hull, such that it's obvious where you are. Um, and so there, there's there's a lot of tech there. Uh, to keep it hidden from both the active sonar and the passive sonar. Well, Denon, you know, you say that the ocean's big, subs are small. Yeah, that's true. But <laughs> I would argue that the space is a little bit bigger, right? And <laughs> asteroids, in comparison, are pretty small. But we seem mm -hmm. to see them. We can track them. We don't have that luxury when it comes to things that are on our own planet, you know, with nuclear capabilities just below the surface of the water. Well, keep in mind, one, they're not just below the surface of the water, and that's the other piece, Maybe, right? Sometimes, sometimes. Sometimes they are, right? But yeah. the, the cool thing is we've gotten really good at making subs that can stay mm -hmm. under for a longer time. Right. And, and, yeah. and this is what's fun about it is water's pretty good at absorbing a lot of visible light when you get deep enough, mm -hmm. right, or far enough away, right? Mm -hmm. You can only see so far, right? Whereas space, um, looking into space is pretty easy. Right. And and we kind of know where the asteroids are, Dan. They're not trying to hide themselves from us. You know, most of them are coming from the asteroid belt. We're watching what mm -hmm. we're do they're doing. We're keeping our eye on them. So I totally agree with you. Space mm -hmm. is big. And so that's where it's going to be the random asteroid coming from a totally different direction that we weren't paying attention to that gets us. Yeah. Um, but like the cat it, who snuck up on you. 
like the cat who snuck up on me. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but but for the most part, the sub in the water, just lots of good things going on. And, you know, water's dark. There's not a lot of light. As, as Ben said, you can actually defend a little bit against active sonar. Also, if you're looking for a sub, you don't really want to use active sonar if you can avoid it because then you give away where you are. Uh, absolutely. Unless you don't care about that. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you can also have uh, like active sonar buoys that all over the place uh, looking for stuff. The other interesting thing to think or the other interesting thing here is the sub is trying to hide. The asteroids aren't. So, you know, right. But there's lots of asteroids we haven't seen. But to make it even more weird, we know more about the surface of the moon than we do about the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> so I, I think there's a there's a lot of uh, conflated uh, issues here of the ocean's a lot less well explored <laughs> mm. than spaces in some ways as well. Yeah, that is, and that is interesting when you think about that. Well, this is, you know, this is the kind of one of the themes of the, the movie is analog versus digital, right? So that's the analog version. You know, sound is analog if you're shooting it out into, a, you know, an actual medium. But the other part of this is that the threat doesn't come from under the water. It comes from the digital world. And we have, I think we have finally kind of evolved as a society and technologically that almost all of our reality is really kind of constructed by computers. Or if nothing else, it's filtered by computers. We're seeing everything. Everything we experience is through the lens of a computer. I'm literally staring into a, a camera to see you guys in the digital world. You know, that's that's crazy. On Instagram, you've got um, people who put filters up, which change how they look, change the angle. You know, all kinds of programs to slim people down. Auto-tune, voices change, right? So everything is done online. And the more we're online, the more we have this digital footprint that tells anything that's collecting that data a lot about us. And this digital world that we see gets kind of, it's thrown into upheaval when someone takes advantage of all of that. But I think this is interesting that, that yeah, I mean, what do you think then? Do you think we live in a real digital world or um, are you more rooted in reality than, than I think? Well, you know, the challenge with answering that question, Dan, is I'm home asleep in my bed and this is my AR generated avatar talking to you. So I don't <laughs> even know that you asked me it. that question. That's quite <laughs> right? a wrinkle. Yeah. Yeah. So that throws a wrinkle in it. But mm. my avatar here feels <laughs> that the digital world is fine. Um, but uh, on a serious note, I, 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 what I love about that question, this moment in time, I, like I love science fiction. I love reading mm. it. Right. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me that in science fiction, you have these the twin sides of the digital world, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. it's AI that takes over and kills us all. But there's also a sense that the digital revolution is the ultimate form of democratization, right? That we all actually now know everything, have access to everything. Communication is faster. Decisions mm-hmm. can be made faster. And and there's almost an arms race between the good and the bad of this of this digital living. Um, and it's unavoidable. I think you're totally right. We are just mm-hmm. becoming more and more in the digital world. And I'm yeah. not sure we're doing the great advice you give at the end of every episode, Dan. I'm not sure that we're harnessing this always for good. In fact, I know we're not always harnessing this yeah. for good. It can go south real quickly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so... S- frustrating because you you said it right there like we have access to everything but everything includes a lot of bad stuff a lot of wrong stuff and 
and we see that in this movie like the the there's good information and there's bad information throughout that is used to deceive and uh get send people the wrong way (laughs) well look it's like when you look into the abyss the abyss looks into you you know we have a lot of information on everything but everything has a lot of information on us as well. And that is the double-edged sword here. So this, the digital world is kind of the environment in which some of the more insidious parts of this movie play out. And one, you know, there's a program, a computer program called The Entity, which, you know, it kind of distorts all computer activity. It acts like a worm. You know, it can sometimes be in computers and do nothing and, and leave does it leave? We don't know, but it seems to be everywhere. It's got a very kind of Age of Ultron vibe, you know, where <laughs> this this computer virus is kind of, it's getting everywhere, and we don't know when it's going to be activated. It's like sleeper cells, you know? Mm-hmm. And we've seen this in real life. There's some pretty interesting computer programs that have gone around the world. You know, I think Stuxnet is probably the most famous and the most interesting to talk about because... It was it was put into first of all, it was able to be inserted into computers that were not connected to being online, which shows you that every computer can be uh, a victim. And it was able to do things without the owners of those computers knowing what was going on. So this is probably the first the the, you know, the first shot fired in cyber warfare, but it's definitely not the last one. No, it's not. And I think, you know, it's funny I because I think of myself as fairly knowledgeable as computers. I'm, I know I'm not super knowledgeable. Like, I always find it funny when in TV shows people are hacking and I'm like thinking in my head, I have no idea what that actually means. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You know, they're, they're typing random stuff. But yeah. like I freaked out yeah. the other day because I actually learned, you know, we use a learning management system to teach our courses mm-hmm. and students have to log in and you have your course there. And one of the things it does is it has online quizzes. Well, now there's a plugin that has an AI sort of interface for the student can just hit the plugin and it'll read the quiz for them and give them the answers. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Shouldn't like shouldn't there be some security there? And it was pointed out to me that once it's a web page, and like it's now just text on the web and anything can read it. Like mm-hmm. you've logged in, you've pulled it up. There is no security. And I started going down a dark hole, Dan, that I usually don't go down um, as to how how many things really know what's happening on my digital footprint, even though mm-hmm. I used to think, oh, I logged in, so it must be secure. Nope. Once you pull it up, I've just freaked out our entire audience, Dan. They're all going <laughs> underground and they're all putting tinfoil hats on. Sorry. Uh, I, I'm, I hope I've prepared you for that type of thinking because it's my, <laughs> my forte. Yeah, it, it's so fat. You know, we talk about this, you know, things on the Internet and. I do wonder about this entity, right? Like, because in some ways you should be able to hide some things from it. Um, presumably, it, it it is not good enough. You know, it, it's it's seemingly old-ish tech, so it shouldn't be able to like decrypt modern encryption. But again, yeah, if it, if it has wormed into every phone, every computer on the internet, then for you to read your message, you're going to have to decrypt it and then it gets to see it, even if it can't capture it while it's flying through the internet itself. <laughs> well, here's what's interesting. You know, we, we've, I don't know if you guys are aware, but we had recently had a pandemic in this country. And, <laughs> you know, the problem... I was in my bunker, Dan. Uh, hey, I'm still in it. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the 
the que- one of the big things was how is this spreading and it's being so quickly, you know, spreading so quickly in highly populated areas, right? And these are human beings who are not physically connected to each other. This mm-hmm. is in the air. We're all, you know, the internet of air where we're all like, <laughs> like yeah. the things go out into the ether and we breathe them in, right? In mm-hmm. some ways, that's how this works. It's called a computer virus. All you know, we are now in a situation where everything's connected now with the cloud and Bluetooth and all this. How many people have just a computer that's not connected to the internet? That's crazy. I mean, if someone had that, you'd be like, "This guy's crazy. He's a psychopath, <laughs> mm-hmm. right?" So, so that's how the the idea that a computer virus would be everywhere is not that surprising to me. I, it, what's more surprising is that there isn't something on my computer right now just like this. And, and that's like you brought up Stuxnet, right? Like mm-hmm. Stuxnet was an offline system mm-hmm. for uranium enrich- enrichment, or well, the, the system it was attacking was. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an anti-uranium yeah, an anti- enrichment, enrichment program. was the system. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it, it got there through a USB drive. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's this thing about proper security and proper separation. If you have an air-gapped system, which is what we're talking about here, you can never connect it to anything that has been on the internet. Because as soon as it has touched something that's been on the internet, there's a possibility of infection. And there's really no way around that anymore. Yeah, no, and I think one of the things though that I realized, and this is, you know, the example I think, I I dare bring up capitalism here, I don't know, could could Mm -hmm. trigger some things. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that is driving this is that you can make money off of data, right? Mm-hmm. And this is one of the interesting things about the science fiction books. And I, I just want to th- throw a plug. We've had plenty of past shows people should go look up where we talk about the fact that we just make energy the same way. We never had an energy revolution. I would suggest the Jetsons episode is a good one to start with, right? Mm-hmm. Where good one. if energy was super cheap, mm-hmm. if food was super cheap, if there was no way you could actually make money off my data, the digital world would become a lot safer, right? Because right. getting my digital information isn't really the thing. It's making mm-hmm. money off my digital information that makes yeah. this space so dangerous. So that is why I try very hard to stay poor and boring. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because when you t- really the the data, you know, data does have a lot of value, and we co- yep. you know we call it mining data. But there are yep. a lot of, you know, you can have a real equivalency between that. I don't know what's going on. Did I read a thesaurus over the weekend? Uh, between <laughs> uh, between data and the gold mine, right? I mean, yep. a lot of these, mm-hmm. you know, Silicon Valley is the new 49ers. You know, I mean, these are the people coming <laughs> yeah. and finding gold. The Yukon, right? I mean, you know, I did a whole Fascinating Nouns episode on the gold rush in the Yukon. That's what this feels like to me. And because of that, people get very greedy very quickly. And it's dangerous. It was dangerous to mine for gold. It's dangerous to have all this data because you're selling it without any thought of how it's affecting the per- at least with the gold you didn't pull it out of like a troll's hand and you're now robbing <laughs> the troll of gold you know it just came, comes out of the ground but you're robbing the ecosystem of you know the land that was on top of it whatever there's always damage there's always you know collateral damage to all of this and you know i think people forget that I agree, Dan, and I suspect, though, you, that you have a deep-seated something against San Francisco 
because that's the general area where, you know, all of this data is. You mentioned Silicon Valley, the 49ers in San Francisco, all in the same place. <laughs> I mean, no. I guess the Yukon's not there, but um, no. you, you are targeting a particular part of the country for being evil, Dan. <laughs> well, no, I happen to be reading books on gold, the gold rush in ah, California. Gotcha. And uh, you mentioned big data, and there's no secret that that's centered in Silicon Valley. Right. So, no, no, that's no, true, no yeah. San Francisco's a fantastic place. This is, look, this is, these are, as I mentioned in our foundation episode, the ills of humanity and our tendencies, um, they don't begin and end with the modern era. You know, we could use psychohistory to see that this would have happened, right? Yes, you know, exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. The, the sad thing, though, is it's this double-edged sword, because if, if the data wasn't valuable, the internet would become expensive or be, everything you'd have to pay for, right? Like if Facebook, true. for example, mm -hmm. couldn't make money off the ads they're serving to you, we'd have to pay for Facebook because there'd be no other way for that system to be operational without us paying for it. I mean, that's what's happening on on X, formerly Twitter. Mm -hmm. You know, the advertisers won't pay for it anymore. So Elon's now hitting everybody up for money. <laughs> right. Yeah, that is interesting. You know, there's some video games that I play that I'm shocked that they're free. Um, so yeah, how do these yeah. guys make money? And look, I, I'm not, yeah, I'm a yeah, I'm a realist. You guys know that at my heart, I'm a realist, and I spout a lot of nonsense on this show. It's just part of what I do. But I do understand that you have to make money, or something doesn't exist, right? Or it has to find yeah. some way. So I, I get all of that. Um, yeah. But you know what? what uh, two other programs here that I want to mention: the WannaCry and the NotPeta. I think that's how you say that. Not P E Y T A. These were two computer viruses that were very interesting because they went around the world. They caused a lot of crises. They caused billions of dollars in damage. And basically when the program got on your system, it just started encrypting data. And that could be very dangerous if you need it decrypted. Now, this right. would be a very insidious program that I imagine the entity in this show would do uh, in this movie, because if you encrypt it and only the entity can decrypt it. Now, all of a sudden, even all of the other programs who are trying to pull that data, there's only one source, and that's the entity, um, because only it has the key. And I don't want to give anyone any ideas, but that may be the perfect way to enslave the entire digital human race. You know, Dan, I think that is a great way to go. Um, again, until we can get it cheap and free with our energy revolution that I'm still arguing for via the Jetsons. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and the solution there might be the Flintstones where we genetically engineer dinosaurs to generate our energy for us. <laughs> And then, you know, the Flintstone technology, <laughs> we just build our separate, you know, stone-based data system that the entity can't uh, affect. Yeah, you're getting ahead of yeah. me. We're analog, well, I'm going to come back to you for that when we get well, into the well, analog stuff. I mean, I think that's what's so important because yeah. if the – I actually don't think the entity would do that because I think it wants you to keep using the digital world. Right. Because if you're not using the digital world, it, it doesn't have control. If it encrypts everything such that you can't – use the data then yeah we're just all the hospitals are going to start scheduling their surgeries on paper calendars again <laughs> and it won't have the information it needs um and so, and so i think you have to go to the system where you the entity needs you to live comfortably on the internet mm -hmm. otherwise it it can't access you that's the fear we talked about. Well, but like we talked about in the last episode, if if you're afraid of the entity, then you won't go on the internet. So it needs to create a safe space where then you are comfortable accessing it. You know, it's what any predator does: make you feel safe and then cut your head off and eat it. Right? Yeah, um, exactly. More importantly, it's what every virus does, Dan. Right. 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 The virus has to hit the sweet spot of infecting and moving around, but not killing it host so rapidly that it can't then infect the next thing. Right. So balance in, balance in attack 
is always something, these evil entities. And that's why most humans fail at being evil um, at the end of the day, because they go to extreme and the mobs rise up and just kill them. So humans yeah. are very bad at finding the sweet spot of evil, I would argue. <laughs> and ideally, you don't want to cause any symptoms at all, like mm -hmm. even a cold. Like we'd love to eradicate the common cold. I mean, it's basically impossible, but that would that is an inconvenience and a computer virus has to have no inconvenience otherwise it will eventually get found out and destroyed yeah well i mean you know you you mentioned the um a couple of things there uh the humans not being good at evil right i mean i think some people have managed to do quite a <laughs> put a little ding in populations you know the united states is <laughs> no uh, no slouch in that department um yeah. but i think you know as you guys mentioned with computer viruses with anything even with the with the you know regular viruses you have to it's the reproduction right it just can't kill anything before it reproduces you know, right. and I think mm -hmm. that's the key. Once it's reproduced, then it's fine killing you. And if it reproduces yeah. quickly, if it reproduces in 12 hours, then it can kill you in 13 hours or whatever. Right. <laughs> um, but the damage, right, the damage is key. So what in this in this movie, what what damage can this type of computer program do? So what? So it's on your computer and it knows stuff about you. Like, What's the worst that can happen? Well, one quote from this movie is it's a mind reading shape-shifting incarnation of chaos. And I think that's a great way to describe it because if you have the internet of things hacked, uh, that's cameras, listening devices, personal data collection, all of this monitoring for you specifically, uh, facial recognition on traffic cameras. It can see where you are, when you are, what you're doing, what you're saying. It can bribe you because it knows things about you. It knows things about your internet history, maybe things you don't want to get out, or communications that you have that you're not supposed to have. Whatever, whatever dirty little secrets that you two have in your closets that it wants to <laughs> dig out, it can bribe you with it. This is a pretty strong, powerful force. You know, we've seen all sorts of bribing scandals come out in recent years, and that's human beings doing it in the old analog way, right? With PIs mm -hmm. and pictures and uh, <laughs> letters and stuff, right? So could you imagine what would happen on a data, a data system doing all of this? Well, and I, I think, Dan, that's where, you know, the more likely direction to go. Locking your data is one thing that's blackmail, and it can work some in, in key places, and we see that now with certain blackmail viruses. I think the aspect of this movie that is most freaky is it's predicting your next moves. So okay. it has two choices there, right? Yeah. It can either use your data to, um, you know, do things about, like I said, blackmail, or it can do things to kind of take you out um, because it knows what you're going to do. Um, or it can, as you said, be a little more passive and bribe you, right? Mm -hmm. And so this mm -hmm. access to your data and its ability to run algorithms to predict things kind of gives it three pathways. And mm -hmm. that's what's a little more scary, right? Mm -hmm. Is it, it has, you don't know what it's going to bring at you, right? Is it going to try and predict your behavior and cut you off? Is it going to simply bribe you, right? Or is it going to blackmail you? And it probably knows your personality and knows which will work better. Yeah. Or is it going to ignore you completely because you don't matter to its grand plan? Right. And that's my goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fly, under, fly under the radar. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't have any power and then it'll leave you alone. <laughs> yeah, that is. I mean, that is interesting. I mean, most people don't want to be monitored, but it's also this thing where human beings, especially, I mean, 
especially in the U.S., where we're all told we're special and we're very important and all of this participation garbage. We all believe we are special and that we are unique. And the truth is, we're not really. There's very few truly unique individuals. And I say that because predicting our behavior, Denon, I think is so much easier uh, than people want to admit. And that is really the scary part, because that's true of anyone in the animal kingdom, right? If you understand the stimuli, you understand something's reaction to it, their behaviors, you can truly predict on a, on a micro scale, not just in, you know, in a flock or in a group of people. I think you can start to predict humans, especially with psychology and sociology. And that's when things get really tricky. You know, it does, Dan, and, and I'm starting to think here, I'm, I'm gathering a little data. You've apparently read a thesaurus. <laughs> I also feel like you've been watching a lot of Monty Python. We had the knights who said knee in our previous episode, and now you refer to the great life of Brian scene where Brian says, you're all different, and the crowd shouts, yes, we're all different. And one random person goes, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. And, you know, so I, I, like think, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head, right? Mm-hmm. We. We are more similar than we often think we are. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that, is, that just makes it a little easier for the computer here um, to predict what we're doing. Yeah, a lot easier, actually. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to downplay it, Dan. I've already freaked everybody out <laughs> once so on this episode. I'm trying, trying yeah. to keep the panic down, Dan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and for the, for the folks who aren't, you know, the Tom Cruise or the Ethan Hunts of the world mm-hmm. who are trying to destroy the Andy, there are still things that it might want to do, like... Maybe for some reason it's more important for you to, you know, buy Coca-Cola instead of Pepsi. And so it it subtly blocks the Pepsi ads more than the Coke ads. And that way the Coke dynasty gets more money and they're going to prop up the entity better than the Pepsi dynasty does. <laughs> I, I would see the entity as an RC Cola man. You know, I think that uh, they're a little more of the. Well, it's not doing well then. <laughs> yeah. So, so what you're saying, Dan, is we're safe. We're, we're, I think we're. I think we're. I think we're all right. Well, this is. You know, this is with all this data, right? One of the things that I think is an interesting theme here is that the intelligence organizations they don't want to destroy it. They're trying to control the entity mm-hmm. because it does have an extraordinary amount of power. And there was this great comic book series uh, called Supreme Power, which kind of plays on the super Superman myth. And it was if the government got control of a baby with the powers of Superman. Could they indoctrinate it with propaganda? A lot of big words here. Look at this. Look at Hey, look at old smarty mm-hmm. pants over here. Indoctrinate it with propaganda <laughs> so that it would then be an ultimate weapon of destruction for the United States, right? But with mm-hmm. a human with that kind of power, you can't control them. I did a whole Fascinating Nouns episode on Meganets, which is exactly what this is. Gigantic computer systems getting lots of data that suddenly take on a life of their own and are all the data you put in affects what they do, which then affects how you interact with it and all that. You can't control something like this. Face, Facebook cannot be controlled. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it never will be. And the thought that it can be, Twitter is another, you know, X, I'm sorry, is another one. These <laughs> things cannot be controlled. But human beings, much like we try to control and destroy nature, oh, we are destroying it, but can we control it? I think the answer is no. And our hubris as humans, as humanity, always gets in the way here, guys. Well, Dan, I would like to just make you know a plug for our listeners, okay. as hard as it is to control, yeah. you know, if you go to things like Physics of X, where X is everything except politics, mm-hmm. and you like it and you subscribe, you can at least help me <laughs> and control the algorithm. <laughs> Just like if you go to FGGBT and you like and subscribe, you mm-hmm. can help our algorithm. So you can be a force for good right. by going to our social media yes. and liking and driving the algorithm 
to that which is good. So yes, it's mm-hmm. hard to control, but maybe we can steer the chaos a little bit and help humanity and us in the process. <laughs> Find the little, find the the light notes in there. Find the light in the dark is what you're saying, Denon. Use it for good. Become a superhero, not a supervillain. I I like this this theme here. And I completely agree with you, Denon. And I think one of the ways to battle this, you know, besides liking and subscribing, but let's say we've scared you enough. I think one of the things that you can really do is start going analog. You guys know me. You know, in the movie, uh, we see, you know, we see an analog safe room. And to start that path to analogdom, I'm going to say, I think the best way to do is to pick up one of our brand new analog T-shirts. We've got a whole new T-shirt line here, guys. Uh, And if you want this great one, the analytical mastermind, history's greatest ponderer, the carnival style T-shirt that I have created and designed for us. I think that's the best way to start your journey, this analog uh, adventure that you're going to be on. That's the way to do it. FGBT.com forward slash merch is where you find that. And the others, Denon, I think you've got a brand new shirt that looks just absolutely smart on you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the cool thing about it, Dan, right, is if you go analog, you can prevent the apocalypse because right. you can avoid the AI. And then, you, you know, you get to be uh, an apocalypse survivor. Uh-huh. You get a really cool hat. You yeah. get a really cool beard. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, lots of good things happen when you go analog. I just sort of like would encourage the world to join us in that. And pick up your analog apocalypse denier T-shirt, which is, I believe, what, exactly. what we're hawking here. Uh, what about you, Ben? Do you happen to have a shirt, too? I can't imagine you uh, don't. You know, I do, Dan. And, you know, maybe maybe you want something digital, like the Enigmatic Engineer T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would suspect that it was a digital machine that created a shirt so soft. Mm-hmm. So maybe <laughs> maybe accept uh, a little bit of the digital uh, world by going to our website to buy these brand new shirts and get a silky soft uh, brand new t-shirt. FGBT.com forward slash merch is where you do it. They were probably printed in digital, but as you mentioned, Ben, that oh so silky smooth analog feel on your analog skin uh, is just analog all over. That's really the theme of this particular uh, clothing line. Uh, But an analog safe room, that t-shirt will give you, it is your own analog safe room, but there's other ways to do it. In this movie, we see, you know, they go into a place, they fight the entity. They've, you know, they've gone way back to like the 60s. This looks a lot like the underground bunker and they clone Tyrone. You got raid tube <laughs> monitors. You got magnetic tape for audio. You got a lot of paper, a lot of paper here, guys. Uh, the, an old school satellite system, you know, a computer system that's not connected to the Internet. Uh, there's a little bit of digital in here, but cutting yourself off. That's really the key uh, to battling this first, Denon. It is. And also what I love about this is the evolution of our understanding of digital and analog, right? Um, You know, if you go back to punch card computers, most people would probably think of that as analog technology these days. Mm -hmm. Um, Vacuum tubes, Mm -hmm. people think of as analog and putting it in your thing when the vacuum tubes were invented to do digital stuff. So I I love (laughs) not only like is the safe room analog, because mm-hmm. you've got all the paper, which is the key core to analog. Yes. But mm-hmm. things like magnetic tape, vacuum tubes, punch cards, um, because of all of our advances in the other directions in digital, really are, I think, in a genuine sense, more analogish now than digital. Well, definitely. I mean, yeah. and a magnetic tape is pieces of you know, ferrous oxide inside of a silicon oh, yeah. tape. There's nothing yeah. digital about that. Yeah, it, it's so interesting to me because this would be so hard to set up because mm-hmm. like even like they talk about like this analog old satellite but uh, do they have an, a whole set of analog uh 
ground stations to talk to these satellites. Like there's there's so much that it it there's so much infrastructure here. Like this is such a huge undertaking um, to set this up, and I'm I'm very impressed that they seem to have been able to do it because I I don't think the entity is aware of their actions from what I can tell. Well, Ben, I have to disagree with you slightly. I hate to do that. Um, if okay. anyone has been to my lab, you will realize mm -hmm. that if the government works anything like me, they have all that equipment still. Um, there has not been a computer we've thrown out recycled because figuring out how to do electronic recycling is just too hard. In fact, right. in case you happen to catch me on Ancient Aliens, now streaming on Netflix, mm -hmm. um, if you go into my lab, you can find Ancient Alien scripts from the beginning of the show that are just sitting <laughs> as pieces of paper on tables. So putting this together, I'm just assuming the government acts like me and they have vast rooms filled with this stuff because they haven't figured out how to get rid of it. <laughs> Well, uh, look, all infra current infrastructure is built on old infrastructure, right? Very rarely mm -hmm. does one replace an entire system. I mean, now you could go into the library. I'm old enough to remember going into a card catalog system and gigantic wooden structures where you pull out, a, you know, a, a, a what do you call that? A, a, sh a shelf? A drawer. A drawer? A Thank drawer. you. That's not the word. <laughs> That's the word I can't think of. <laughs> a drawer. Yes, a drawer. You pull out a drawer with a lot of pieces of paper with a lot of typed with a typewriter words on them where you find your book. That, and a lot of those libraries, that system has been completely usurped, I found that word, um, yeah. by a digital system, right? But that's not true all, all over the place. And I have to say, I haven't worked in the government, but I feel like a lot of bureaucracies aren't throwing out a lot of stuff. No, and I do think you opened that door with trepidation, Dan. I would just throw that in as well. <laughs> Thank just. you. Yeah, <laughs> the, it, yeah the, the stuff isn't thrown out, probably, but but... Saying it back up, and I think to me, most importantly, hooking it up to the rest of the world is the problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. While we don't have a lot of, um, while we, while the government almost certainly has a, a lot of old computers lying around, the the undersea cables are no longer telegrams; <laughs> they're fiber optics now. And so, how you how you create that surveillance system so you can track down um, Grace? I don't know how you do that without the internet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish, you know, maybe this is a real um, a real shout to our government to put telegraph lines back into play. We need to put these <laughs> Perhaps. back into, into, into play here. Maybe that's how we get to the Flintstones here, Dennis. Uh, yeah. But I think, you know, if you don't have an analog safe room, right, there's a couple of the steps that you can do, right? Removing your digital footprint might be key to all of this. If the entity can't see you, if you don't have any digital data, you know, that's the way to do this. You know, uh, here's a couple of ways. I, I've got put up some websites, but dropping off the Internet's one, deleting social media, um, getting rid of old email accounts, logging out of data broker sites, opting out. Uh, Denon, you pointed out, you know, I'm not going to give any information here, but some some data breaches on me that I quickly closed before the <laughs> the, <laughs> the airing of this episode. So uh, it can be done. It should be done. Um, get a VPN, hide your data. I think the Tor browser is also super interesting where uh, it really will hide your activity. Most criminals use that, but also paranoid lunatics like me uh, who just want their data taken off the internet. There's way to do this. And like I learned in sex ed in high school, abstinence is the only safe form of protection. And that is true um, with, with the digital world as well. Well, you know, Dan, I totally agree that that is important and to do all that stuff. I've often wondered, though, like particularly watching um, this and the way AI works, mm -hmm. um, 
The other sort of defense mechanism we have, and we've talked about a lot, is camouflage. Um, and something we haven't talked about on the show is generating a field of fake data about yourself, right? Because mm. what you're really trying to do now, there's a, there's a double-edged mm. sword here, right? If you're worried about the bribery aspect, yeah, right, creating your own fake data could set you up to be bribed for doing something you didn't do. Unless okay. you're like a straight up and down like CPA without a criminal right. record, and I mean, you're, you could be pretty boring out there. No, you could no, be no, pretty no, boring. No shade on CPAs; they're great, yeah. but they're not exciting. But I think that's that would be an interesting direction to go, right? Mm -hmm. Do searches for stuff that are totally irrelevant to who you actually are and what you plan to do. Mm -hmm. You know, um, post messages, create some social media accounts, um, and AI just basically works on analyzing the massive amounts of data. It is not actually making decisions. It does not know which data is true and which data is false. Mm -hmm. It is going on patterns. Um, and mm. we have seen, right, so much prey out there in nature, because mm -hmm. we do know, right, Dan, nature mm -hmm. is, is our, t no, biology is nature's, nature's technology. technology. Yeah, I right? don't have that shirt we handy, but it's a great one to also get on FGBT.com forward slash yeah. merch. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I think I'm going to learn from biology here mm -hmm. and, and perfect my camouflage, because locking yourself out is only so good. You can mm -hmm. only build so good of a fortress. Mm -hmm. um, but hiding in plain sight, um, is something many creatures have done successfully for centuries. Including you in the Hunger mm. Games scenario. So this, that, exactly. I, I like that that's your go-to. That's really yeah, interesting. No. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Ben? So let's talk about living off-grid, right? You seem to be a, you sure. are a digital creature uh, by nature, yes. as your t-shirt will show. Um, what about this? What about, <laughs> you know, could, do you think you could pull off, could you, could you go off-grid, do you think? Uh. No, I probably want the internet. <laughs> you do want the internet. I mean, offline and off-grid yeah. are two different things, so you definitely wouldn't even go offline. Yeah, well, so, off, yeah, so if, if we're just saying off-grid, like our, my own power, my own water, my own sewer, or, well, I guess probably... Uh, uh, the woods. No, not the woods. Uh, septic. <laughs> I'd, I'd have a septic system with a wheat field and everything. Okay. Um, I, I, think, I think I could do it, but... Uh, it's interesting, though, because we think about it as, is it a way to hide from the enemy? Well, one, you'd obviously have to uh, not be on the Internet. But also, I don't even know how you would effectively hot. I don't know how you could set up an off-grid system and not have a footprint leading to where you had set it off. Like, those solar panels got delivered somewhere. There's a record <laughs> of that. The, hmm. the, the manufactured home... All, or the lumber you used to build. I mean, maybe you built it out of logs you cut down in the woods. Mm -hmm. But, like, it, it's so hard to completely disappear. Yeah. Um, you'd have to, like, find somebody else's compound that's already been prepared and somehow secretly move in there without anyone knowing you did it. <laughs> well, I will tell you this. We know more about the surface of the moon than the deepest parts of yeah. our ocean. A wise man told me that in yeah. our last episode. Um, but we also know very little about uh, what's underneath our feet, the ground. So how about an underground bunker? Uh, so you just mm -hmm. have, you know, your your wheat field above, your septic tank somewhere else. Uh, you know, if you provide your own electrical system, grow your own food... You know, the solar panels I get, but you don't need solar panels. You can get, you know, windmills to generate electricity. Turbines spinning the old Mother Nature way, yeah. right? I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's all the same stuff, though. It's like, have, 
you have to be able to acquire that stuff without leaving the footprint. And that to me is so hard nowadays. Well, the fake information like, that Denon said, we set up a fake account. We got a fake. <laughs> I, I set myself up as Ben Sapser and he's the one buying all this stuff. And the, and if anything, the roads lead to you, but what they don't do is lead to me. Mm, okay. No, and I, and I think right. that is the trick, right? Mm -hmm. Is you're never going to be able to get it perfect, but you right. do have to be aware of this. I mean, it's amazing how often in crime shows and probably in real life, you know, without thinking the criminal uses their ATM card or they mm -hmm. use their credit card because nobody mm -hmm. carries cash really anymore, right? It's amazing. I, I think, Dan, you're right with your general approach. And mm -hmm. I think Ben's comment here is how easy it is to slip up. Yeah, absolutely. How yeah, easy it is to miss something that is going to be tracked by the entity. And then at the end of the day, I like your underground because it helps a little bit with the satellite surveillance yep. that's happening all the time. Mm -hmm. um, they may get worried about a sudden wheat field appearing in the middle of the woods, Dan. So you yeah. might want to think through a different alternate food source. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you're digging, there's a dirt pile somewhere <laughs> mm -hmm. of, of the, from the tunnels you dig. So it, it's just, again, I, I think you're going to have to steal somebody else's bunker. <laughs> it's possible. I mean, look, there's a, what's actually ironic is that there are a bunch of websites telling you how to go off grid, which I think is I find yeah. that so funny. <laughs> uh, but, no, you know, you mentioned no credit cards, only cash, possibly gold bars to buy stuff, although that would be very suspicious. Uh, but yep. I think I think you could you could minimize it. Right. Like you can go off grid and the longer you're off grid, the more your footprint is fading away. Right. So it yes. wouldn't be instantaneous. You couldn't just go and it's hard to just go and disappear without having to change your paperwork in some way, shape or form. Right. So that is mm -hmm. that, you know, I think that is it's not impossible, but it's definitely improbable. I mean, the Amish are off grid, I would imagine. Right. I mean, so there's a thriving community of off grid <laughs> people. Yeah, But we do know where they are because they unfortunately make such great food, Dan. Um, yeah. And, and it does and give furniture. them away. And furniture, man. Their furniture is top. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen an Amish-made rocking chair, but that thing will last you for... That thing will last to the apocalypse, then. You can rock on that <laughs> well into doomsday. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, there's ways to do it. You know, it's not impossible. Um, but what is impossible, guys, besides the mission, is to go this entire episode without discussing uh, some of the, what is a classic trope in a Mission Impossible movie, and that is the disguises. Now, uh, <laughs> the disguises are ludicrous, and we've talked a little bit about it in our Scooby-Doo episode, so I'm going to refer you to that for the disguise, design, uh, the, the uh, mask portion of this. I don't know what word I'm trying to say, right. the mask portion. But the voice portion here, Den, and you brought this up to me, and I really like this. So basically, they're able to almost seamlessly take anybody of any size and proportion and turn them into <laughs> anyone else <laughs> in a way that's indistinguishable from the original person. That seems crazy visually. But audio, that's something that's really fascinating. And I think, Denon, this could be possible. No, I think it is. I think, I mean, look, we have experimental evidence that you can um, mimic people's voices. They're called... Um, comedians. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. So when you just hire one of them. But the uh, the other thing to think about here, though, from a disguise point of view, what I, I like about the voice situation is um, I, I already mentioned it, but why not plug myself twice? Mm -hmm. um, you know, as a person who, who's on Ancient Aliens and gets recognized in the public, I will tell you most of the time, it's my voice that triggers the recognition. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Someone yep. hears me talking, yep. and then they think it's me. 
So I think the voice is the key here because you've alluded to how horrible the disguises will actually be, mm-hmm. right? But you could just mm-hmm. think, well, maybe they had a disfiguring accident. Um, maybe they, they lost a little height, gained a little height. Mm-hmm. But the voice is what will convince you it's really them. Yeah. And I do think the voice... Um, now, how we do that is interesting. They put a little um, digital thing over your Adam's apple. I'm not sure that's the right way to go, Dan. But I do think the voice is the right approach to take. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me to some degree. Because if you, if you think about, if you've watched comedians doing impressions, they often have to really manipulate their their mouth and their face facial structures to truly get the the sound mm-hmm. that they need to to make like sometimes they're like pulling on their cheeks or they're pulling on their throat mm-hmm. they're like doing these weird things to to modify their biology to match the weird sounds now if you're trying to imitate someone who's biologically similar to you you may not need to do something like that but if you're a uh, you know Tom Cruise trying to pull off a Nixon mm-hmm. You're going to have to do something pretty wild to make that voice work. And then I think it makes sense that you have this electronic device that's maybe sending out some canceling arrays or or canceling um, frequencies or modulations to help you along that path. Well, I mean, so it is very easy digitally to replicate a voice. As a matter of fact, a lot of the recent SAG-AFTRA strikes are about (laughs) AI being able to use a voice. And people, mm-hmm. once they give their voice, now the studio owns it and then they can replicate mm-hmm. it. So this is possible. Right. So, so it's not the possibility thing. But what I think is interesting is that when I, you know, as the master of film and television, one of my classes that I took told me that when you watch a movie, we, we're visual creatures, but we are way more forgiving of bad video than we are of bad audio. For some reason, maybe mm-hmm. it's because when we're babies, we're always listening and hearing things, and that's kind of our first um, sense in the world, right? So hearing is extraordinarily mm-hmm. important. But also the voice, you mentioned it, Dennett, it makes you unique. It's how people recognize you. And there's lots of factors to that. You know, the acoustics of the head of your cranium are interesting. you got lung capacity. Mm-hmm. Air is your power source, right? How big are your lungs? How much does it force through your voice box, which is your sound source, you know, your vocal cords, if they're thicker, longer, deeper voice, deeper frequencies, the length of the throat where, you know, the stuff's coming up through your, as you mentioned, Ben, uh, how do you change the biology of your face, your tongue, uh, the sinuses, your nasal cavity? How is the sound resonating in your head, um, your nostrils, mm-hmm. your mouth, your all this stuff is your your lips. They're all changing just how the voice sounds itself. And that's not at all taking into consideration someone's cadence. You know, when I listen to myself talk, I listen to my cadence a lot. I listen to other people's cadences. And that this is all what's important. And it goes into creating what I would argue is a very unique, almost a fingerprint of, a, of what a human voice is that is almost next to impossible to replicate from an analog standpoint perfectly, despite how funny and how accurate a lot of these comedians are, because I love them. They're really good. Yeah, you know, Dan, I realized as you were saying that, and I put that together with what Ben said, and I think we actually have a potential solution here that aligns with the visual in the show. So it really, I was bothered by the fact that they put clearly an electronic device on their throat, and what is the heck is that doing? Because clearly, if that's generating the sound, it will be funny because it's coming from their throat. Right, that's yeah. not going to like look mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, and. As you pointed out, there's so much that goes into the sound. Mm-hmm. How do you manipulate that from the throat? But I wonder if you take, you know, Ben, you mentioned canceling frequencies and such. We know noise canceling headphones work. We understand acoustics very well. I wonder if that device is not 
the whole sound, but it's doing the appropriate modulation to yeah. to refine the final sound. And it's also on your voice box, Dan, because it's getting triggered to be timed by the motion of your... So Got it's it. using the motion of your larynx as the trigger to know what to do. It's mm-hmm. receiving signals. It's a you know it's got a little processor in there, and it's sending out subtle sound waves to nuance what you're doing mm-hmm. to make the voice as close as it needs to be. Right. So I think this is a combination of analog and digital technology going on. You as the speaker try and get a little mimicking done. I mean, these people probably are okay at mimicking, and then this is really just the icing on the cake, as we would say. And, and to go back to the AI thing, it's also possible this thing is trained for your biology and it has um it it could also potentially be stimulating your actual your vocal cords it could be stimulating the muscles maybe subcutaneously uh you know maybe it has some like uh probes going in that you're hooked up to so that it is actually uh manipulating the way your muscles are actually working to help you along the way as well well that's uh, a gruesome uh, suggestion then (laughs) Uh, but possible, uh, maybe that, you know, it, it, if you're going on impossible missions, is it really that weird to have some, uh, some, some electronics put onto your vocal cords? I don't think probably so. not. Look, we make science fiction, we make science fiction a reality. Wait, I forgot our tagline yes. now. Um, yeah, but we also make the, impo- the possible imp wait. No, that's the, you want to make the possible impossible. We make the impossible possible. I think it'd be a lot funnier if we made the possible impossible. That would be, and I think we do way. that sometimes, Dan. Well, I've just yeah. done it right now with what I'm trying. What I'm trying to say, uh, but let's omit that. And here's a perfect place: our errors, additions, and omissions sections. Things we wanted to edit out but didn't quite get to. Uh, Denon, is there anything about this movie or my goofy ramblings that you would like to talk about? Well, you know what, Dan? I would love to talk about your goofing ramblings all day, but this is a short section of the show, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to focus on the Mission Impossible series. And one thing I love about what they do, um, and I think it's one of the hardest things to do in um, spy plots, suspense plots, is this idea that the enemy knows you so well, they know everything you're going to do, and so you can't succeed, and you have to be smarter than the enemy. Um, And it's happened throughout this series. Um, There's been some big ones where it's the other person is supposedly smarter than Ethan Hunt, but in the end, Ethan Hunt proves that he's smarter. And I think what I love about this is we'll find out, is Ethan Hunt smarter than Infinite Data or not? We don't know yet. Um, More to come on that. Yeah. Well, if Tom Cruise is any indication, if his ego is any indication, I'm sure that he will end up being smarter than Unlimited Data. Uh, <laughs> but he is a, a, fast, a, a fantastic actor. Uh, what about you, Ben? Anything you want to talk about that we didn't get to? What What really interested me and got and got me thinking back to our uh, One Ring episode with Dr. Henry G. is Is the entity a Sauron or an anti-Sauron? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because does it want the key found mm-hmm. and brought back to yeah. it? Or does it want to destroy the key so it's forever free from people manipulating it again? Hmm. And I couldn't really decide on that. Um, but it certainly seems like it's not trying to destroy the key. So I don't know what's going on That's there. That's interesting. Which is what I would think it would want. That's an interesting observation. I did not make that connection. But there's something to that, Ben. Uh, I like that. That's, that's, that's really smart. Yeah, and maybe... 
maybe our listeners in the comments down below can tell us, is this a Sauron or an anti-Sauron situation? I think we need to know. We need to get to the bottom of that. Uh, I have one thing, and that is when they're driving the car, uh, there's Ethan Hunt and I forget the woman's name, but he's handcuffed to her, and they're trying to drive a car through... Uh, I think Rome. I think they're they're in Rome. That would be next to impossible if you're handcuffed to someone and trying to drive, especially if the person steering the wheel is in the passenger seat and the person driving is just hitting, you know, gas and brake. To do that at a stuntman level um, is pretty impressive. Uh, so that <laughs> is, I love fantastic chase scenes. You won't hear me complain. I know I sometimes do that a lot. Then, and you know, I know you love everything. I love most things, and, but that was a little hard to believe. We may have to cover that in a future episode. Uh, but until we do, uh, let us know, let us know if there's anything you want us to cover. You can find us on social media. You can get in touch with the show on X, formerly Twitter at F triple G B T pod. We are on Facebook at F triple G B T our website ftriplegbt.com or you can email us questions at ftriplegbt.com but luckily you can get in touch with us individually Dennett where can people find you well you just flip my name on most social media it's at Dennett Michael on YouTube it's actually Michael Dennett and you can that's where you can catch physics of X where X is everything but politics and then you can find me on my website denonmichael.com and then Facebook is just a little fun you stick in a prof there at prof Dennett Michael what about you, Ben? Where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on X, formerly Twitter, at Daniel J. Glenn. On Instagram, at the Daniel J. Glenn. On Facebook, at Analytical Mastermind. Website, DanielJGlenn.com. And if you want to get the full experience, if you're just listening to this, we applaud you. Please keep listening. But you can also watch. Get the full visual experience. YouTube.com forward slash Daniel J. Glenn. And make sure as you listen on your favorite podcast platform that you rate, review, and subscribe. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. What about helping us out with the algorithm, Ben? This is this yes. is the episode where Definitely this is the place where the algorithm <laughs> fight uh, the algorithm. Fight the algorithm. <laughs> this is you know it's our best friend and our worst enemy. Uh, but you know we, we've given not only the entity but you lots of information that could be misused if you're if you are hell bent on world domination. But when you have that information, look at it and consider: Do you want to be a superhero? or a supervillain. You have that choice. Always choose superhero. Never be a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com and before you leave don't forget to check out our other episodes you can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got and you'll notice 
that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn, and once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.